Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. But when you see people in a competitive marketplace pushing boundaries and so saying, well, it's legal, it's a legal drug, we can do it. The question should be, should we do it, not can we do it? Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 21st April 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome to you both. Morning, Matt. Hi, Matt. Well, with the Easter weekend, it's uh, been a fairly quiet one, so we might even make this a uh, relatively short podcast. Let's let's wait and see. What, how about we roll into the little news that we have? Sure. Claire Burnett with uh, just breaking this morning, um, Endeavour third quarter results. Yes, yeah, some interesting results from Endeavour Group. Obviously, the owner of Dan Murphy's and BWS reported a decline of 3% in its retail business. So for the 13 weeks to the 3rd of April, sales declined from $2.4 billion in the same period last year to $2.3 billion. Doesn't actually look a lot when you put it on paper. Um, adjusted for the timing of Easter this year, though, uh, which is normally included in this quarter, um, this was a decline of 0.7%. So um, Endeavour said that this reflected the shift of customers returning to on-premise venues as COVID-19 restrictions begin to ease, uh, but online sales have continued to grow with annualised sales of $1.1 billion, uh, now achieved. Uh, the decline in retail sales uh, was partially offset by growth in its hotels business, which grew 3.8% during the period. Uh, and no doubt we'll kick that around in below the fold, but uh, Bridge Road to open cardboard pop-up venue. They have indeed. Bridge Road Bros, obviously in Victoria, will open the doors to a pop-up bar in Melbourne fitted out entirely from cardboard. The a bar made from cardboard aims to redefine the pop-up by creating a zero-impact venue constructed from materials that either recycled or can be 100% reused, recycled or composted. I'll be intrigued to see how it goes with spills. <laughs> <laughs> so whether there's structural integrity of the business. Yeah, uh, but again, well, that's pretty much the news because there's been a few announcements over the Easter week, but not a lot has happened on the uh, news news front. So got two minutes in, we've <laughs> done the news of the week. Um, and so let's pop below the fold. Interesting third quarter results. It's whether or not that gives a lie to all of the things we've talked about for the last two years about the shift to you know fair complaining oh. about the bin everyone's binging at home mm-hmm. or whether it was just the shift you know people were drinking the same overall exactly yeah I think that's it and also it's like the Netflix results this week once you get to that high level all you've got to do is go down from there like that's all you can do yeah it's, it's a phenomenal thing that we have in our society where ongoing growth is the expectation even when the market is a certain size mm-hmm. and so you know you just can't produce more humans in the country all of a sudden to drink more beer mm-hmm. and we know, don't want to be product them right? drinking no, more either. so so it's a really odd um, you know that that's just an odd part of our culture that yeah. that ongoing growth even when you're at a certain size, is expected. On the flip side, I think the piece that was interesting there is um, 
uh, and not to set Matt off, but um, <laughs> but that 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 the, their decline uh, for Dan Murphy's and BWS was offset by the growth in hotel business revenue, mm. and so I think you know that they've got a pretty strong hold in both camps on prem and off prem, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's good for small and medium breweries if people are returning to their local. Um, so that's good news for the industry as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, and we'd like to attract more people to breweries than in hotels, obviously for, you know, our vested interest, but it does show that people are just going from ordering at home or, or take home to on-premise. Which is where it's interesting. I caught the Netflix results, which I think they declined by 7% or something mm-hmm. like that for their last results. Yeah. Um, but again, people going back to cinemas, you know, we, we everyone, you know, I'm yeah. looking at the 37 streaming services I'm currently subscribed to during COVID and working out which ones I'll cull. Um, Absolutely. And more people are just going out. So, like, what's the point in having Netflix and Paramount and HBO and blah, blah, blah? We'll just pick one and stick with that. Mm. So it just doesn't make sense. But I think it's really interesting you make that point about always going for progression and we always need to see that going up. And, like, that puts a lot of pressure on a business. And actually, the Endeavour Group results, when you read into them, and I'm sure you'll hear more on the Investor Call this morning, um, they're happy. Like, that's fine. they, They keep saying, you know, this is a really strong performance for us like this isn't bad particularly (laughs) given you know that in in that on-premise was down for so long I'm Mm. sure that when COVID hit their initial expectation of how it would go was not necessarily that they would be able to maintain their top line results Mm -hmm. because they didn't anticipate the massive swing towards ordering online which they are now talking about as you know one billion um, of online sales so you know, I'm sure they're very pleased because it could have been a lot worse. Mm, absolutely. Um, we were talking just briefly about fair just a second ago. You know, that was the criticism during COVID, but Endeavour never said that, and they've always said we are profiting from uh, Endeavour. Uh, fair and the anti-alcohol lobby have said alcohol companies are profiting from this move. Actually, mm. they're not, and they never were going to. It was always going to be a momentary blip. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> they derive their profits from people drinking. So the, the whole thing of alcohol companies deriving their profits from <laughs> is seems well, a little bit silly. Yeah. It's it's what is inspiring. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's what their motivation and how appropriately they're doing. Actually, I might throw throw that in um, um, as a like not a, as a fair thing, but I'll post these into the Facebook group if you haven't already. I was just getting some keys cut um, at the office of standing there and looked up at the screen in my local strip mall, you know, outside the Coles. And, you know, you've got a light box that um, is, will you be ready for the flu season? Then you've got a screen with advertising and Mm -hmm. shop offers inside. And as I sat there, there were only five ads that were scrolling on on the TV screen. One of them was a $1,000 a day giveaway for... Bundaberg rum and other things. It seems to be a Jim Beam promotion. The next one was Brookvale Union ginger beer. The next one was Steggles chicken, um, advertising <laughs> chicken fingers for children. Um, and then the next one was, so there was the Steggles ad and then there was um, 45% less alcohol wine. So of the five ads that were running, four of them were alcohol one of them was chicken for families and children. Um, Weird. Who's deciding that? This is, well, mm. th- th- that's the thing. So when you're talking about, you know, as much as we tee off on fair, when you even... Yeah, that's a legitimate one. That's a legitimate... Um, outside of Coles, yeah. 
Yeah, just not mainstream advertising. Well, but then again, you great. can you can advertise in a bus shelter. There, there's no problems with mm-hmm. that. But this is part of when I always rail against these sorts of things. It's not because I have a problem with alcohol advertising, but when you see people in a competitive marketplace pushing boundaries and so saying, "Well, it's legal. It's a legal drug. We can do it." The question should be, should we do it, not can we do it? But to me, that's actually, I mean, that just speaks to the person who's setting up that light box and selling that advertising, right? Because that's somebody in that complex owns that advertising and has elected Mm -hmm. to put those four things next to that fifth thing because they are not... And, and they're we not talk aware about of the responsibilities around alcohol because they're just an advertising person outside of the industry. That's right. Exactly. And that's what we always talk about, which is a lot of these errors occur. And, and we talk about it in the context of ABAC advertising. Um, this one, you had this recently, Claire, where a brewery had sent it out to their designers and the designers aren't don't live and breathe mm. in the alcohol industry, don't have that same lens where they're constantly thinking about being careful and came back with something that, you know, would be less appropriate. And so it is that thing where the alcohol industry has to take additional responsibility to brief the people who sell its advertising, to brief its designers to make sure mm. they're compliant. And this is something that, um, and Matt, you sent this to me, uh, about the UQ and Fair Australia tie-up, that they're going to be doing a three-year study on digital uh, marketing and mm. how alcohol is marketed. It says, yet the promotion, advertising and retail happening on these platforms, digital platforms, uh, remains unregulated and opaque. So, well, UQ, I think we'll beg to differ on that. But the point is that it's going to be scrutinised. Yeah. It's going to be it gives the appearance more. of it because Sabrina makes yeah. the, a good point that mm. it's it's not the advertising. The, the, the advertising companies are potentially not asking the right questions yeah. when they're placing ads. Um, or not and where does the putting, flat come? Yeah. Back uh, to the alcohol money. Uh, but, That's right. But, but yeah. it becomes back to the advertiser. Mm-hmm. Um, and But one of the challenges that the alcohol industry faces is the perception that they are targeting or that you know there mm-hmm. is a you know that they are the tobacco industry of the 90s so anyway so i'll post those photos just so you can sort of get a bit of an idea and again you know yes it's legal there there's nothing stopping it but that <laughs> unfortunately is actually the argument that fair has is that it's unregulated and it's not illegal the question we should be asking is should we be doing it or well, how how can we um do more in our industry to make sure that the third parties that we contract with have the same level of understanding around um, yep. responsibilities. Yep. Like that would be the way I'd frame it. Yep. Um, other story to discuss, the Bridge Road to open pop-up venue. And again, this is one that for me is a little bit like the topic we covered off last week about the pack cans That's versus That's exactly the, where my brain went. Yeah, yeah. because on one hand – Really great statement about intention for recyclability and things like that, um, where you've got cardboard instead of saying cardboard is good and things like that. But then again, it's essentially something that is only consuming um, cardboard um, and the cardboard is recycled or whatever. But when they talk about a bar made of cardboard aims to redefine the cardboard by creating a zero impact venue – now, it would only be zero impact, surely, if you didn't do anything there. That's what I said, and you laughed at me and said, Claire, do you want to just live in the middle of a forest somewhere? And no, I'm no, like, yeah. no, I, I take your point. Well, see, I don't think that, you know, because essentially we don't want to go live in caves. We need to consume on some level. Mm-hmm. But we haven't looked into this enough because it only came through um, in, in over the last day yeah. or so. And 
But when you say something is zero impact, I think you should also be saying, well, it's not just zero impact because this cardboard is mm-hmm. minimum of 70% recycled yep. and is fully recyclable mm-hmm. without saying, well, here is how we plan to recycle it and we've also offset the energy and water usage involved in recycling cardboard because because it, it can only be zero impact yeah. if the whole and this is something you've been looking at extensively over the last um, couple, couple weeks, of months yeah. um, about sustainability and green and mm-hmm. you know how easy it is to make claims about green mm-hmm. um, without then you know as I say showing you're working you yep. know you just sort of show the answer without saying well this is how we've offset the things that yeah, we've consumed that would genuinely make it zero impact. And that's a very big undertaking for just a pop-up bar as well. Consider all the calculations you'll have to make, all the offsets you'll have to buy just for this one pop-up. Well, you'd think that the cardboard manufacturers that are mark- that, that are apparently holding it, because I remember um, Crime Malt did something at, what, I, I can't with COVID, I can't remember which, that, you know, their stand was recyclable. And then you have the big thing of where you sort of crash it all down at the end and it's, it's, it's great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks amazing. Um, so these things are increasingly becoming um, I, I'm used. way more cynical. I mean, maybe I shouldn't be. I ignored all of the zero <laughs> pop-up business and went, A, is it a cheap way to do a bar <laughs> so that you can, you know. Max- I think it's only temporary while they, yeah. before they fit it out. Right, so I was like, okay, this is a nice cheap way to get people in and buying booze, um, alcohol, beer. <laughs> uh, we have an ongoing discussion around my use of the term booze. Um, so, you know, I was like, okay, well, it's it's something that you can write a media release about. It's something that is interesting and people come and see it and be like, that's cool. You still have to execute it really well. Mm. So if it's it just looks like, amazing. It does look amazing. You can't just have two cardboard boxes sta- taped together. But, um, you know, it has been done in other places before as a yep. bit of a, to use the word, gimmick. Um, but, you know, look, um, anything that people are trialling to um, bring a focus to the sustainability conversation, great. You know, we've talked about trialling before, yep. innovation, so on and so forth. But I was just like, mm, sounds like a cool story. Well, it, I didn't go hey, into hey, impact, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> that's we're, we're just, that's uh, just where our heads are at, at the minute with all the packaging and the uh, big totally. corp and the But we're also neutral. in an industry, um, and, and this brings up a conversation that um, was on the Black Ops uh, or Dan Norris and uh, Hendo's uh, Boston the Brewer podcast um, where they were talking about our use of media releases. So, you know, we're in a really competitive industry these days with – 580-odd breweries, according to the uh, brewery database powered by Convoy. And they're all looking for attention, you know. And there aren't more, um, over the last 10 years, there aren't more outlets for beer industry um, news. Um, And if you want to get something into the mainstream media, um, like uh, the the, the broadsheets, the street press, or even the, the, the major dailies, you have to have something. You can't just say, hey, we're making beer we're a craft beer bar because they're a dime a dozen so you need something yep, that the is, new hazy isn't going to cut it mm-hmm. the new hazy and and so it's this arms race of attention getting and so brewers are looking to how you get that little bit of attention you know so we get you know what 70 or 80 email um, media releases a week um, oh, at least and, Sometimes and, you know, so if you go and look at our media release stream that we're not talking about as news on this podcast mm-hmm. Because it's not news. Um, and, you know, so anyone that's ever wondered why some of our stories are headlined 
um, media release that we have not edited this um, or some of them are actually stories. That goes back to when Brews News first started. Um, you know, you get media releases. And as a journalist, I'd get very, very frustrated that I would see media releases land on my desk but then published in you know mainstream dailies or other trade publications essentially unchanged from the media release that has been written by a public relations person or written yep. from the storyteller's point of view mm-hmm. and then no extra questions no extra say, information yeah. added that, that's no. a piece it's unchecked yes. right it's yeah. just so there's no verification yeah. you've of just the, trusted that whatever right. they say is right well yeah. particularly when you saw things that you knew weren't correct like when something's claiming to be the first um, or things like that and you know you sort of think well if something's going out under a journalist's byline there is a promise that comes with that that they have you know particularly somebody who's an industry specialist, is going to have weighed through that and vetted those claims or asked extra questions. And so we ask ourselves when stories come in, you know, is this actually something that our readers want to or need to know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, then it's news because that's why we exist to inform our readers. If our readers aren't going to lose any sleep, whether they know it or not, they're not going to feel uninformed, but somebody wants our audience to know it, then it's essentially advertising is, is, is our approach. But this started, Matt, you, you know, this this um, piece that you've just been on there, that, that piece was really started about the fact that we're in an, in an age of an ecosystem of information that is just in overload. So the craft, craft the beer industry mm. is um, highly competitive. There's a fire hose of content. There's a talk fire about. hose of content. And actually for breweries, and and um, we have seen this in a number of the Bureau of a Conversation recently, we've seen a lot of breweries doing things and it's something that, um, you know, at Brews News we talk about a lot in the, in the background, which is how do you burst that craft beer bubble? How mm. do you reach new audiences and talk beyond the people who are already consuming your information? Mm. Because if those media releases are going to the six same thousand people – you're just advertising to the same group of people. Mm. So that's something that we're constantly talking about is how do you actually get beyond the bubble? And Although that's something that we don't set ourselves the task of being. No, that's we not want to speak very much to, to the industry bubble, um, but that's where we have to be discerning with our news and, and, and be very careful with what we're telling people is news. We're sorry, just, but that's these types yep. of activities that are, are going on by breweries like a cardboard bar, like an X, yep. are trying to reach new audiences. They're trying to explain their business in new ways to new people who are not within the ecosystem necessarily. Which is interesting, which is why we publish them on our site, which is because we know that, you know, this could be potentially something we could ask more questions. But we also like to have a record of what they say and how they've said it and the claims that they make within those media releases without any editing, editorialising by us then you can point to it later and say, but you said this. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a Actually, little and bit and of... And that was the example with the um, pack text. Yes. You know, because uh, 18 months ago we got something saying one thing, mm. 18 months later we got something. But uh, just just on that, you know, we didn't cover the, the first, this is the packaging story that we're doing because that's not actually new. That's self-promotion. That's, hey, yeah. look how green we are. That was one of... Which Many isn't actually of news. People that went to Sugar Gain Pulp Handles, like that wasn't the first one by but, any stretch of the imagination. And there's a whole lot of questions that we ask ourselves mm-hmm. when something comes in. So, and this is very sort of inside 
you know, inside the, the, baseball, the, inside the news bubble. But clearly, it was a, a question that when I heard um, Hendo and Dan talking about it, they didn't understand why some things were media releases. And I was saying, is this sponsored posts or is this? And it's and it's not. Um, we use it in a variety of way. The, the the very first thing that we say is, you know, if this comes in, is it does it have a news value that people want to know? Then it's it's news. But then we sort of look at it and having done this for a long time you also know that is there anything that needs context or added story around it and if not um we'll publish it as a media release um if there's anything factually incorrect but you also know that some of these media releases that they're so staged a story Mm -hmm. that if you pick up the phone and ask questions you're just going to get another form of the same words so it's one of the questions is this is there value that we can add to this story or are we just wasting resources to do it and if we add no value then we don't want to tell people that we've that it is anyone else's words apart from the person, and it's often a public relations person. So we say media release. Mm-hmm. This hasn't been vetted. You know, if there is more to add, that we can, and it's just, you know, an efficiency. Once upon a time, all stories were um, vetted, but there was a different funding model um, for mm-hmm. quality media. Um, if there is a story that we think needs it, then we'll do it, yeah. and that's when you'll see one of our bylines on the story. Because we're putting our credibility behind the story that we, you know, our credibility and our reputation that this is a story that we've done as opposed to it just being a media release. So we publish it as a media release. This is Bridge Road telling their story. Yes. Um, and, but it, 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 it is a story that we are going to, that we are looking into as part of our sustainability mm-hmm. coverage. That when you're talking about cardboard um, and saying it's zero impact, is it just because you're not putting plastic up on walls mm-hmm. or is it because you've, the, the yep, whole life out. cycle mm-hmm. of this thing has been calculated. Got it. So it's truly um, zero impact. If you um, <laughs> were going to consider moving to um, recyclable or pa- packaging or changing your packaging, Matt, would there be someone you could call? <laughs> well, I thought you were going to do the whole thing. I was not, not, I was, uh, not, I was. Not, not quite seamless, but that's because <laughs> I uh, was on a roll. Um, yes, you certainly can. Our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging are not only able to supply labels for your cans or bottles, but they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes, and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Now, I will say that one of the things that we did look at when people asked us, well, hold on, isn't plastic on the outside of your can um, bad? Because everyone, you know, I, I mm-hmm. want to use mm-hmm. paper, um, and that was one of the. Even though Rallings are an, a, an advertiser of ours, mm-hmm. we weren't going to make that claim lightly. So when we dug into it, we went looking to it because we thought, yeah, well, actually, plastic is bad, except the way that the um, the, the the cans are recycled, it is. It doesn't go into kill turtles and choke turtles, um, and also the paper labels um, are potentially problematic as well because the background that has a um uh, the glue. Uh, or it's got a covering on it a non-stick um covering makes means that the paper isn't recyclable so um you know anything that you consume mm-hmm. is going to create waste on some level and you know so rallying that that's one of the questions that rallying actually uh we're happy for us to to raise that which says a lot about the rallying table stickers and packaging business and if you would like to ask them about how sustainable their packaging and their uh businesses you can give them a call or just get some labels off them um mm-hmm. you can call them on one 800 to discuss further 
coming up. Um, we have the oh, the highlight, the, the Oscars, the <laughs> gala. Well, actually, hopefully it's not the Oscars. Hopefully no oh, one gets yeah. slapped on oh, stage. No. <laughs> um, oh, no. The uh, 2022 AIBA presentation dinner. Um, and you can celebrate the excellence in beer making from Australia and around the world at the 2022 Melbourne Royal Australian International Beer Awards presentation dinner. At the largest annual beer competition in the world, the Australian International Beer Awards inspire and celebrate excellence in brewing, beer packaging, Maybe Rallings will uh, have one of their uh, design and beer media. The 2022 awards received more than 2,600 entries from 20 countries, making it the largest on record. Taking place on Thursday, May 26th, just over a month away at the fabulous Victoria Pavilion at Melbourne Showgrounds. Attendees at the event will get the lowdown on the brews that you need to be drinking in 2022. Attendees and anyone who's watching closely in the consumer world uh, will get the lowdown. Uh, joining with hundreds of brewers in a celebration of the best beer in Oz. Now, the reason that we're telling you this is because, listeners, if you're in the industry, and undoubtedly you are, presentation dinner tickets are on sale now. Head to the Royal Melbourne Royal website to get yours, melbourneroyal.com.au, and there is a link in the show notes. See you there. See you there. Um, anything else anyone else wanted to bring up? Or will we go straight to the mailbag and do another ad for New Zealand Ale Trail? Head to NewZealandAltrail.com or at New Zealand Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. And mailbag was a little bit quiet this week. Uh, maybe when we, um, Adam Gallows, <laughs> trigger, you know, trigger, triggering uh, posts that went for forever and ended up uh, filling half the podcast. Um, but Josh Boyle on the Facebook group, um, Josh is in France, regular correspondent. Uh, and Josh, please uh, send us your address as well, so we can you you do uh, contribute. So we would like to send you else uh, something else. Um, and in international news, not much uh, effect on the Australian beer scene, but the large wine brand. Famille Pierrefond. Oh, um, lovely. Well done. Burgundy wine producer has become the major stakeholder in Bellinium Artisanal Beer. Uh, they say it was to be able to offer a wider variety of products to the people of the region. Interesting. To also point to the recent stats from So Wine Dine Data, beer is the preferred drink of 51% of the French drinking public. It is all for the share of throat, be it wine, beer, or hard seltzer, which I thought was a really uh, thank you. Um, if yeah. anyone else, and we do have. Listeners around the world um, and in, right into Asia, um, as, as we've discovered. If uh, <laughs> any of our um, listeners do note these sorts of data points that are local to you but relevant to the topics that we uh, cover for the industry here, please become a correspondent. We will send you some uh, Bruise News merch to, uh, to rep the brand overseas. But what do you guys think of, uh, think of that? We're seeing it everywhere. Interesting. Right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's what's just happened in the US, yep. you know, in a couple a of cases. Much smaller scale, uh, obviously, good drinks. That's what they're thinking about yep. doing. Haven't quite stretched to wine yet or that I know of. Um, have they got seltzer? <laughs> have they got seltzer? Uh, they have in their wider portfolio, I believe. And then they've obviously got, you know, matzos, ginger mm-hmm. beers, Well, matzos is beers. right in that blend um, mm. of, of, of products. Yeah, but, exactly. but it's just, I They've mean, gone non-alcoholic. They've done the whole shebang. It it's, was... Really fascinating. I know that um, most listeners have probably heard it, but your discussion with Malcolm from Lion really talking about understanding the flavour profiles that your consumers are looking for and really being clear that if you've got something that is close to one pale ale that you've put out, you probably, 
it, you know, in their experience, it didn't sell as well because they had not sufficiently understood the differences in flavour profile that their consumers were mm. looking for. And so that's why the ginger beer had gone so well for Squires because it was a completely, a very different flavour profile as opposed to just a little step to the left or a little step mm-hmm. to the right. And, and just on that, because we did a podcast with Chris Sheehan, uh, Pete and I, Three, four years ago, and Josh Donahoe took us around for a sweep around the Sunshine Coast. And Christian from your Monday Brewing. Christian from your Monday Brewing. Um, and they had just trialled a ginger beer that was a beer base um, with ginger in. And Pete and I loved it because it had that nice little peppery bite at the end of a beer. But that product then didn't take off yep. because. No one else. If, if you don't like beer, you're not going to like beer with ginger in it. So the product that's come out as a, as the ginger beer is a much more traditional ginger flavour without the the uh, beer taste, and that's where Malcolm's insights were really interesting. Really interesting and consistent with this approach where, that we're seeing, where there is this sort of consolidation across a range of alcoholic products, where a business is looking to have very distinct offerings Mm. for very distinct flavour profiles for consumers as a group. So that share of the throat, wine, beer, seltzer, hearts, you know, is is real. Mm. You know, that is a real business um, approach. So it's consistent. It's happening everywhere. But one of the things, and I don't have a reference to give here because it was an article I read a while ago, but it was very interesting that in countries that don't have a beer culture but tend to have a wine culture like Italy um, and also France, which is why it's relevant here, is that, you know, if you're driving through northern France, you're just driving through vineyards the whole way because basically every, you know, estate grows their own uh, grapes to make their own wine and it's often just a table wine for, for their own consumption it, yep. it's, you know, because it's a very traditional thing so they have a very strong wine culture but if you grow up in a wine culture your exotic beverage tends to be something like beer and then you'd sort of drink that and it sort of elevates it a little bit whereas in Australia we've always had a beer culture but over the last generation or two wine has become the the, the more sophisticated yeah, um, and drink and, and that's where different markets you can't apply one range of marketing principles to any one market um, and or in, in any one age is where um, actually just to make a leap to a different topic but on the same um, that's unlike thought. you <laughs> <laughs> look a rabbit um, <laughs> it was a quote from and I would I'd screenshotted it specifically to give everybody the reference um i'll find it and possibly put it in the uh show notes um but it was a quote from a american brewer who essentially said if you've been in the craft beer industry for 10 plus years you you will have a fundamentally different view from someone who's entered in the last five yes. which is which we were talking no no yep, again exactly no no and, and this is the the point we've been talking about which is why there is no single craft beer market. And again, That's which right. is why Malcolm's Insights, um, you know, who, who's sort of at the top of the tree in the biggest craft beer brand in the country who has to think about these things. I was going to say, I love that bit where you were just like, yeah, I'm glad you don't know either. <laughs> 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 because we don't know. <laughs> how to define craft. Yeah, how to yeah. define craft. Um, yeah, that was a great bit. So um, in, in something sort of related but in other news, um, I just wanted to take the opportunity on behalf of the New Zealand industry to do some acknowledgements across both cider and um, 
beer. Um, so we've had the passing of two stalwarts of cider and beer in New Zealand in the past um, week. So Alex Peckham of Peckham Cider passed away. And so the announcement was he died this week, three months after being diagnosed with malignant brain tumour and just six weeks away from his 60th birthday. Um, And this is significant to the brewing industry because cider and beer have have long been connected in New Zealand. And I just wanted to share um, a quote from Kieran Haslett-Moore, who is the brewer at North End who said, in the past, my default response when asked to name my favourite New Zealand brewer has always been to say he isn't a brewer, but Alex Peckham makes the best alcoholic drinks in the country. A cute deflection, yes, but also an honestly held belief. Cider has always sat in my heart just to the left of beer, but my two visits to Peckham's throughout the years reinforced that love and I saw it ignited in many others. We are all poorer for Alex's passing, but none more so than his family and they are firmly in my thoughts. And so that's, um, you know, just a lovely tribute to the contribution mm. um, that Alex made to the cider and beer industry in New Zealand. Um, and then uh, the second passing was for Alistair Castles, who was the founder of Castles Brewing and uh, – but also founder and develop, developer of uh, a – area called the tannery in Christchurch and was really a visionary and um, one of the first people who stepped up to rebuild Christchurch after the earthquakes. Mm-hmm. So had a really significant impact post, um, post-quake. post And so, you know, there were a lot of um, thoughts shared on um, – on Facebook uh, in support. And so, again, I'll just read one, which was the legacy Alistair created will hopefully live on through generations. I'm raising a glass of Castle's Milk Stout as a respectful, sad farewell gesture. While I never met the man, I'm one of the thousands of Cantabrians with Castle's and brewery bar stories and have immense respect for the vision and tiresome work Alistair and his family and workers put into making Christchurch whole again after the quakes. A loss to his family, a loss to his businesses and a loss to Christchurch, a loss to the world. And so, again, um, you know, Castle's was one of my locals, Castles Brewery. It's a family-owned brewery, um, so so his children still work in the brewery um, and, you know, just another loss to the industry. So I just wanted to pay respects over to the New Zealand whānau for, for all of that this year. Mm. But just, you know, big losses in the space of one week. Uh, well, now it sort of feels a bit funny going to a um, beer of the week. You know what? <laughs> I'm sure both of them would be we, very happy to for celebrate us to be celebrating the beer. a beer of the week. And our beer of the week, presented by Bluestone Yeast. Did your last shipment of liquid yeast turn up warm and not in its best condition? Did you pay thousands of dollars for liquid yeast that arrived at the brewery warm and non-viable? Well, did you know that Bluestone Yeast ensures that your liquid yeast arrives at the brewery cold, fresh, and ready to pitch to make award-winning beer? Because they are local, there are no delays with Customs or Aquis. That would be the Australian Quarantine and Inspection Service. The yeast leaves their lab and goes straight to your door using trusted freight companies. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And he loves to talk about yeast, as I have found out. Um, he loves to talk, no, which is great. Yeah, Again, very, very edu- Passionate. Passionate. Absolutely. Pat, which he reached out to us wanting to sponsor a beer of the week and wanting yeah, to help us out. We've been joking about it for so long. We, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So it's, a, you know, it's as with most of our advertising, it's, it's actually just, you know, the cost of this is being paid for by our good friends and people that we trust. Um, but anyway, so my beer of the week. 
beer of the week. Yeah, it's gotten a little bit nippy, as nippy as it gets in, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in Brisbane. Victorians are going to love it. I've just written a story uh, for a publication about winter beers. And uh, so my beer of the week is Beer Brass, uh, Nitro Milk Stout, which was very much what uh, on, on, on the topic. And this is from Stomping Ground. It's, so it's it, talking about ticking boxes. It's got a little bit of uh, lactose in. It's got nitro. It's a winter beer. Oh, um, very, very nice. So if you like Let's a little see. bit of uh, – now, the tasting notes are roasty cocoa and espresso notes. Nestle under – I hope that's Nestle, not Nestle. Nestle under a velvety pillow of head because that's from the nitro. Crowning a creamy nitro-infused body, an ode to Melbourne's early days and a Collingwood tap favourite since day dot. So uh, that's my beer of the week. Did you guys have anything that's left out at you? I did have another one actually that I that was the um, beer that was made for the High Country Hop that I finally got around to drinking uh, that was produced in a partnership with Bintani um, and New Zealand Hops using their Nectaron. Oh, cool! Um, oh, lovely. Which was it was a hazy. I overcame my you know my I, feelings. I, I, I very much enjoyed it. I did the other week, Matt. We can change. No, I, did, well, no, I don't need to change. I, <laughs> you do there's sometimes. nothing wrong with them. It's just not to my – they're good, but they're just not my preference. Mm. I finally had the Cooper's um, Red Ale. Mm. That was really nice. I, oh, was it? I enjoyed that. Are you, you like a big Cooper's red, drinker? Uh, no, but I'm not not a Cooper's drinker. So, like, you, if you're some <laughs> – I think that's most of Australia, yeah. really. You know, I'm not, so, like, not, I, I'm it not. depends, right? If you go somewhere and you really can't make a decision, they've got a whole host of things and you see a Cooper's, you're yep. like – I trust it. I know it. I'll order the Coopers. I just find that yes. when I have the Pacific yep. Ale or some of their other or the XPA, like it's hops with the Coopers house yeast, and there's like there's that's the thing. It's too the, the yeast At least is you such know a what dominant. You're getting, yeah, <laughs> but it's the it, it's the same. It's like you'll go and buy the sparkling ale somewhere because mm. you know it, right? Love you it. go yeah, yeah. Lo- love it, know it. Know what you're getting. So, no is the answer. I wouldn't drink it all the time. But I also, you know, I now and have a toddler, so I don't. Sixtieth birthday. That's so, right. Yeah. And, but I love a, um, I love a good American red, um, and so I'm. I know that there's some winter beers which I love, and some reds. Uh, American Reds, not Irish Reds, starting to come out, and so I'm very excited about that. But so I enjoyed it. Mm. Cool. It was I've, my got, I've got mine beer. in the fridge. Yeah, so I haven't had it gotten around to it. Again, it's, it is so hard. <laughs> this sounds like, you know, first world problems. First world problems. Hashtag beer writers' problems. <laughs> Trying to get through the beers and give them a meaningful assessment because, you know, you, you can't really. Well, when you're judging technically at a competition and you sort of do your little sample because you've got 75 to get through in a day, um, yeah, that's the way you have to do it. But if, if I'm trying something at home and I want to give it a meaningful assessment, I actually want to drink it and then get to the end of the glass and think, and you can't So I that. should disclose that I'm not trying to give things a meaningful assessment uh. because I don't have <laughs> that sensory capability. So I just sit down and think, is this a beer that I have enjoyed? Oh, yes or but, no. But, yeah, but that is the totality yeah. of my assessment. That's meaningful. But, uh, actually, like but, that. but that is, that's the meaningful thing I'm saying because you are to, to make it meaningful as a consumer, you need to get to the end of the glass and think, you know, was, was this something that I had to um, do because I had to or is this something that, gee, I'd shame I only got one yep. um, kind of thing. And, and that's the, the meaningful assessment I'm talking about in that yep. context of right. uh, enjoyment. So, Well, I did. I enjoyed that. Nice. Excellent. Anything from you, Claire? Or um, well, I was at Stradi on the weekend. Yay. It was lovely. Minjerabar. So, Sherbrooke Island for those who aren't um, yep. Brisbaneites. Also known as Minjerabar. Um, and I had a Stradi Brunco beer. But they are brewed uh, ballistic at the minute, so it's ballistic not technically. Said ballistic on the can. Oh, I took okay. a picky. 
Good on them. Well, oh, they, oh that's a f- no, I no. meant to text you that, actually, because it even said, brewed out ballistic beer while we build our brewery on Strati. So, like, it was couldn't that have was, been any clearer about More Strati. transparent. And yeah, now yeah, you yeah, respect yeah. it, right? It's Absolutely. Not, uh, and, and they have had them built, brewed at a couple of different breweries. So, that's one of the big complaints. God, here, here we go. Uh, thought, gee, we're going to wind this down. And, uh, something. Uh, no. Uh, because <laughs> it, it's a question I get asked a lot by brewers for, you know, any of the topics, whether it's ABAC, everyone but sort can of consults I just, us. Uh, as, can just at a really basic instinctual level, does anything about that disclosure put you off drinking that beer? No, not at all. I'm glad it, that they were very open about it. it in exactly. Fact. In yeah. fact, it, it has the opposite impact, which is you go, I have trust in this brand because mm-hmm. they've consumed. So nothing about the fact that they are contract brewing that beer elsewhere makes you go, I won't drink this beer Mm -hmm. it's really honest it's really transparent and in fact that disclosure gives you increased respect right certainly as industry observers i don't know whether consumers i mean i I don't think consumers really care i I think i only looked because i I was wondering and and, and i don't think consumers would really so i have a data point on that actually which is that um i was listening to a lovely uh, a podcast recently with two Female founders of a brewery and brewing Could brand. Be hunting. I've started listening to that this morning on your recommendation. Thank it's you very much. It's very good. Um, and they are ex-Google and had done extensive research into the market and their point was uh, female younger millennials care where their product is produced. They have more knowledge about who owns their companies, who finances their companies, and that is a purchasing decision tree for younger millennial women. So that is part of the list of things that they Mm. go through in terms of making a decision. So your point about do consumers care, folks that are researching it are telling us that, yes, consumers are. They do care. They uh, And I hope that when they – Care about trust or care about where it's made? Care about where it's made, care about who owns it, that that is part of their decision-making tree. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't have that data available to us, but folks who are looking at it are telling us Mm. that that is what consumers are saying. I do wonder – if Strati, and this isn't a Strati specific story, but Strati have the ability to say, while we build our brewery, which is that True. Yeah. marketing yeah. positive thing, when mm-hmm. there are other island breweries that. Yet to be named. <laughs> I'm I, sure I, we've I've, I've referred before. to in articles before. Um, I don't <laughs> want to be accused of bashing anybody who, who don't. And they built yeah. multiple breweries in Sydney, and yet they're hundreds of kilometres away. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they don't put it on. Um, well, at least the, the last time I checked, this has always changed. Mm-hmm. But one, one of the things I'm always asked is, well, should we put ballistic on because we change our breweries and if we get stuck with labels? And yep. you know, it, it, that's a legit question. It's a yep, legit yep. question, and, and, and if, I don't if think contract brew in multiple places. Which one do you put on? And like, I still loads think Lion are the most transparent company in, in in Australia because you know they put brewed. Um, you know, at, at various, you know, brewed by Line Australia at various facilities, uh, you know, buy under license um, around Australia. So, yes, their labels can change. They can shift between production facilities yeah. without any problems. But, that you know, if, if you want to know whether this is made in Byron Bay, actually Byron Bay is a great example because I actually say this is not made in Byron Bay um, on the label edition, <laughs> possibly because of the minefield that but, is that But um, I think brand. this is going to be really fascinating. So the IBA are due to release their report any minute yep. Um, yep. It, it, on the future of craft and so on and so forth. In fact, maybe they did the first release at the High Country Hops um, and it'll be really great to get 
that piece around labelling and provenance as we part will be of it. It's something that we yep. keep an eye on. But anyway, that wraps up another week of Beer News. You've got 15, at least 15 minutes of your week back that you didn't expect. Your hosts <laughs> have been Matt Kirkegaard, Claire Burnett and Sabrina Kunz. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Hilda. We thank Cry Malt, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, New Zealand Ale Trail, the 2022 Australian International Beer Awards Presentation Dinner, Bluestone Yeast and Thirsty Merchants. If your comments have been read out, please claim a bar blade, just email us. We thank them all for their support and you for making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And with that, for another week, we are out. Boom. Boom.